Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Friday, December the 8th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at an email that was entitled, Oh Lord, Make Me Good, But Not Yet. The article talks about Augustine, a great church father. But evidently, before God saved him, he was quite a rascal, just like we all are. He was born in 354 AD to a mother who was a devout Christian and a father who was not, but supposedly converted to Christianity on his deathbed. Like all of us, who are brought forth in iniquity, Psalm 51, verse 5, Augustine talks about wanting to do wrong at an early age when he stole fruit. He described it in his confessions as being, quote, foul, and I loved it. I loved my own undoing. I loved my error. Not that for which I erred, but the error itself, a depraved soul falling away from security in thee to destruction, seeking nothing from the shameful deed but shame itself. As Derek Kidner says in describing the fall, in his commentary in Genesis, sin's fruit is shame. Have you not often done a sinful deed and afterwards are really shameful to the point that you won't want anybody to know about the deed and you're trying to keep it hidden? Well, when I was a kid, I would disobey my parents, and they would see that a bad deed was done, but I would end up blaming one of my two brothers for it. That's because of shame. Augustine pursued sexual freedom at an early age. Eventually, he had a son out of wedlock. And he went on to leave both him and his mother because he was in the process of marrying a teenage Harris right before his conversion. Writing in his confession, he describes with full transparency the struggle he left in leaving his old life behind. And that's what happens when a person becomes a Christian. Augustine wrote, But wretched youth that I was, supremely wretched, even in the very outset of my youth, I had entreated chastity of thee and had prayed, Grant me chastity, and continence, but not yet. 
Now, isn't that great? You just don't get that kind of honesty out of Christians these days. Saying, okay, God, I'm all in, but I'm well. How about some holiness leeway for a little while on the sex and self-restraint front? Nope. Gather together a group of believers, and you'll see what happens when the issue of sin comes up. Nothing. You know why? Because the issue of sin in our lives rarely, if ever, comes up. We're either too embarrassed or self-deceived to really confess what the Apostle Paul said. That's in Romans seven fifteen. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Is that because we maybe don't hate what we're doing, like Paul said, even to the point of feeling like Augustine, admitting to and living in, O Lord, make me good, but not yet type of way. If this is true, it leads to the scary question of do we ever want to be good? I'm not okay, and that's okay. Clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst Dr. Jameson Webster says maybe not in fact Maybe we should not. He argues in his New York Times article, I don't need to be a good person. Neither do you. Why? Because being good means we traditionally restrain us from personal fulfillment. We say limits cannot tell me when it comes to pleasure. We talked about that in the ELCA yesterday with Wes Reimnitz, where they think that gay activity is actually a way to increase your pleasure and that God permits that because that's what he intends. No. Everyone wants to make the right decisions, but they avoid the deepest questions of desire. Desire is a compass. Our eternal compass does indeed direct us. But the issue with the Christian is we have both an old and new compass that are at odds with one another when the Holy Spirit comes to us either through baptism or hearing the word of God. The old compass is our old self, and it directs us always to sin. The new compass is the new man in Christ. Our directed to each is clear. In reference to your former manner of life, Ephesians 4, 
22 and following says the following. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Easier said than done. Sometimes, as Augustine reminds us, on the one hand, we're told, no one who is born practices sin because the seed of Christ abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who never practices righteousness is not of God. That's 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. But on the other hand, before we are brought into the heavenly realm on Judgment Day, the Bible says we're made of the same stuff as Paul. Here's what he wrote in Romans 7, 19 to 21. For the good that I want, I don't do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find in the principle that evil is present in me, the one who desires to do good. This dichotomy at times causes no end of anxiousness in every believer who want to follow the word of God as it says in 1 Peter 1.16, you shall be holy, for I am holy. But instead we find ourselves still wrestling with desires that wage war against the soul. 1 Peter 2.21. If I get sin so bad that they even start to doubt my salvation, I have a problem. So, what's the insight that you can get from the great philosophers who write characterizing the road to hell as a place? You know what they characterize it as? In hell, nobody puts up a fight. Indeed, it's both informative that even non-Christians, they see that. A key difference between the Christian versus the non-Christian is that the believer often does just the opposite of his sinful self, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We do put up a fight where sin is concerned. And if you are putting up a fight, 
and are working to resist sin. That's a good sign. You have the Holy Spirit who is convicting you, which results in all of us looking heavenward more times than we would like and crying out, not keep me the way I am, but according to Luke 18, verse 13, be merciful to me, the sinner. Augustine eventually overcame this but not yet desire on his quest for personal holiness. And so can you. But until that happens, keep putting up a fight because your fight is against the devil himself. And that fight is not only involved in your sins, but also in your beliefs. It's just amazing to me how many people believe in evolution rather than six-day creation. Uh, One of the things they keep talking about is that the light from the moon takes a few seconds to reach Earth. The light from the sun takes a few minutes. But the light from a distant planet may take hundreds of years. Now, that is correct as we are living right now. There are planets so far away and suns so far away that if there was an explosion, we would not see it on Earth for year after year after year until the light reached us. You see, the light normally travels at 186,000 miles per second. And we don't realize really how wonderful our earth is. God said, let there be lights in the heavens to separate the day from the night And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. When Adam and Eve were created, on the eighth day of creation, they could look up into the sky and the light from distant planets or suns would be visible. They're called the stars of heaven. You think there were no stars in heaven because the light was too far away? No. God created the world with age. That's why there were already trees in the garden, the tree of life and, of course, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which Adam and Eve were told not to eat from. It could not have taken a few years for that tree to be 
growing in the Garden of Eden before they saw it because Adam and Eve were going to be pregnant with a child, Cain. And that occurred very quickly. So the stars were visible. Times and seasons, because the earth was built with age. If a doctor had walked into the Garden of Eden on the eighth day of creation and saw Adam and Eve, he would never have concluded today's doctor that they were only two days old. No, they were anywhere from 16 years old, it appeared, to 24 years old. Who knows how old they were when they were created. Cain was the first one who was created through the womb. Adam and Eve were created with age. In fact, there's a lot of scientists who say because there are so many suns out there and so many planets, we're bound to find another planet where the evolutionary process took place and there are living beings on those planets. Now, I don't personally have any problem with there being living things on other planets like germs or such things that are very, very tiny, but living human beings from evolution, that's a joke. Earth is a climatic paradise. It's in a per perfect distance from the sun. If the earth was 5% closer to the sun, the oceans would boil. And if it was 5% further, they would freeze. Earth's yearly orbit around the sun is an almost perfect circle. If it was oval-shaped, Earth would have two seasons, blazing hot and deathly cold. Now, I don't know if you recognize certain things, but how do we calculate the length of a year? A year is the amount of time that the Earth goes around the sun in a perfect circle. How do we recognize what a month is? Well, that deals with the moon and how it appears. And how do we decide what is a day, 24 hours? That's the amount of time that it takes the Earth to do one orbit as it continues to circle. Now, isn't that interesting that astronomy 
helps us decide the length of a year, the length of a month, and the length of a day. What in astronomy helps us decide another item? We have a week. That is seven days. Where does that come from? Guess what? It doesn't come from astronomy. It comes from the Bible. Interesting. It is determined by God's creative work week and his word. Remember? God rested on the seventh day. And therefore, a week, according to God, is seven days. And that is perfect for proper human functioning. God rested on the seventh day for our benefit, not his necessity. For example, in France, in 1793, the revolutionary government decreed three 10-day weeks each month. That mandate was abolished by Napoleon in 1806, just 13 years later, because it wouldn't work. The former Soviet Union, Union introduced a five-day week in 1929. And then in 1931, changed it to a six-day week. But by 1940, this atheistic government abandoned the six-day week and return to a seven-day week. Seven-day weeks are back worldwide, as they have been since creation week. Even atheists have discovered that it's not smart to go against God's word or God's work in nature. Now, some so-called scientific geniuses say this is all the result of a big bang and ongoing accidents. Let's start with something easier to believe. Like, I drive a car. Can I believe it was assembled by random weather and scattered scrap metal? Isn't that something much easier to believe than in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? If you have evolutionary tendencies, you are against the God of creation. You're also against his son, who worshiped on the seventh day would go into 
the Samaritan places even and preach of his work that people will be saved by his redemption on the cross. That's the message of Christianity. For me, it's a lot easier to believe that God created the world with age. There already were diamonds in the ground. There already was oil in the ground. There already were trees and mountains. It's just that everything was at peace. And all the animals that were created, including the dinosaurs, were all vegetarian. That's what the Bible says. Until Adam and Eve fell into sin. And when that sin occurred, there was catastrophe, not only in the universe, the stars, but also particularly here on earth. Animals did not remain vegetarian. They began to eat other animals. Death became the result of Adam and Eve's sin and their own death and our death followed. Except for Elijah and Enoch, everyone dies. But that death is the way into heaven. If one has faith in Jesus and continues to fight against one's sin. That's the good news of God's holy word, who created the entire world and the universe in six 24-hour days. I'm Tom Baker. Join us on Monday for a continual study of the distinctions between law and gospel. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.